0: Hey Rockheads, if you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming, it's also great for kids doing homework, it's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves, I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com, that's mtcb.pwop dot-net rocks episode 1193 with guest billy hollis
1: recorded friday august 28th 2015
0: Oh, no you didn't it's time for Dot net rocks <laughs> 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 haven't heard that one in a long time it's what happens when you hang out with teenage daughters oh no pick up those little things uh, i guess the what you got around you i'm
2: the wife's off in china so i've been hanging around my daughters but they're 20 somethings now so yeah. they don't say that
0: they're, they're well beyond that phase i guess well it's time for Dot net rocks this is carl franklin and this is richard campbell and billy hollis is here it's always a good time when billy's here but uh we got some stuff to take care of first, starting with Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude. What have you been up to? Oh, not much. Um, some practical stuff. Windows 10, as you know, is new, and there are some new things and new ways to do stuff, especially if you're doing any kind of universal apps. Sure. So there are some networking API improvements in oh. Windows 10 that nobody seems to be talking about. Um. I don't know why. It's just sort of part of the stack now. But if you go to tinyurl.com slash winx networking, uh, this is, um, you know, the Windows apps team wrote this in yep. July 2015. Interesting stuff. There's some new socket stuff. Um, there's some new JSON stuff. There's a socket broker. So some higher level things, even, even though you're doing low level sockets, there's a, uh, post processing and background transfer, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you can handle the completion of background downloads and uploads. And, you know, it, this is really not new technology in terms of that, but it's a new API. So there's some new things to, to, to learn about. That's cool. Real framework stuff on Better Know Framework. Yeah. What do you think about that? I love it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's nice to know there's bits and pieces being worked on here. I mean, for a long time we were just sort of talking about so the framework's kind of done. But, yeah. Uh no, these are these are significant.
0: Well, things happen, and you know, technologies come out, and then new challenges arise. Like for SD cards, for example, yeah. that you know what happens uh, with SD cards uh, because of the caching and stuff like that. So there's little problems like that. Sure, yeah, you know, that they are they're addressing. So it's all good stuff. I like it. Take a Thank look. Thank you, bud. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed
2: a comment off of show 1092, one we did with Billy Hollis, where we talked about WPF being all grown up. And Matt Lacey, who I just checked, and I think he's got a tablet show mug, so now he's going to have the set, said, uh, one thing I've noticed when looking at XAML written by anyone who isn't very experienced is that it can be rewritten with less. Hmm. This doesn't just apply to WPF, it's anything using XAML, so Silverlight, Uh, Modern or Metro or the universal app model, that all applies. I think developers struggle with XAML because there's so many different ways of doing things and, quote, no one true way. Yeah. With a couple of exceptions, all designers I've met who've worked with XAML have struggled with it as the tooling is so different to the tooling they've used previously. And as soon as you start implementing something with it, you need to consider more than just the visuals. It really becomes about all aspects of the experience of using the software being built. Amen. Despite the number of visual designers who claim to be able to do UX, there really aren't enough good UX designers to go around. Four months into working with XAML as being enough to really ramp up sounds about right to me based on my own experiences and those people I've worked with. With Windows 10 not yet being out, this is from a while ago, Mm -hmm. and the app development looking more like it'll be involved writing universal XAML apps. I think that's probably what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. This means that now is the right time for people to start getting up to speed with the current Universal XAML app experience so that they can be ready for Windows 10 when people start wanting to build for it and start looking for developers with good XAML skills, because we are in short supply. Yeah, that's right. I got no arguments there. In fact, Billy responded to Matt. A few months ago, along those same lines, and I think he made fun of people calling themselves UX designers, but I'm sure we'll talk to him about that. Uh, Matt, thank you for being a loyal listener. You've commented many times, but I don't think you've ever got a .NET Rocks mug, but you got one now, mm-hmm. and it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or through any of the social media that we post to, because we post every show to Facebook and Google+. Comment there, we'll read
0: it on the show, and you too can get a mug. And, of course, you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And uh, we do like getting tweets, so please do so. And that brings us to our guest, Mr. Billy Hollis. He is a software designer and developer with a contrarian streak that often challenges conventional wisdom in the industry. He has a consulting practice. In- <laughs> He's laughing. You wrote this, my friend.
1: <laughs> uh, <I> know. <laughs> it's still funny to hear it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he has a consulting practice in Nashville, Tennessee, and his team focuses on user experience design (UX), advanced user interface development, rules-based architectures, and healthcare systems. He teaches. Let's
1: add, uni- let's, let's add universal
0: apps to that now, shall we? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That, that bio is a little bit old. All right, Universal Apps. He teaches design classes for UX and technical classes on XAML and Windows 8 and Windows 10. Unlike many instructors, he can usually keep you awake for the entire class. That is true.
1: And laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I'm I'm really bad at laughing at my own stuff. I go back to that old Twitter feed that I started in 2008. This is pointless. (laughs) This is pointless. And I still read it, and I still laugh. When I, yeah. I laugh at my own jokes, which probably means there's something psychologically wrong there. but
2: Yeah, it, they are so funny. I still – you got the Burma shave thing nailed, right? That whole, you know, the series of messages that sort of chain <laughs> together that have a great twist at the end. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. right. <laughs> and I'm Brilliant. still putting that out there. I, I don't know if it's, if, if it's well-known. Twitter has become uh, kind of different from the time when I first started that. Oh, yeah. Right. But I still put sarcastic stuff out there. My most recent favorite that I laugh every time was Wired Magazine just came out this past week with a picture on the cover of a couple of – the guy that's behind Apple Music and Dr. Dre. Right. And, Dre. and you've Dre, seen Dre, the, the
0: Wired – Sorry, the I got to interject on behalf of black people. That's Dr. Dre. I'm sorry. All right. See,
1: how would I know? I, uh, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm clueless. But what I do know is that they apparently have a requirement at Wired Magazine that says that every f- – photo, every portrait has to use what I call the Mr. Data Photoshop filter. Yeah. You you know what I'm talking about? Yep. It's got that goldy skin sort of grim look to everything that they do. And I don't really understand why that is, but that guarantees no matter how famous I get, I'm never going to be on the cover of Wired magazine. (laughs) I don't want to look like Mr. Data.
0: Uh, Speaking of filters, one thing I learned from hanging out with my teenage daughters this weekend was that uh, Instagram has filters for places that you go. And so wherever, if you go to a place, there's a filter that you can download when you take pictures, or maybe it's Snapchat. I'm not sure which one, but probably think it's Instagram. And then, uh, you know, that puts logos and stuff and changes what, what's in the picture. It's just kind of cool how things are happening. The kids, that's what the kids are doing these days. <laughs> yes. So what's going on today in Universal Lapland and Windows 10 and where's windows phone anyway and should we you know it, it, uh, should we still care about
1: windows phone what fill us in billy well i don't know windows phone is a little bit missing in action although i'm i'm a bit baffled as to why and i, I can illustrate with a, a story from my own family my son has traditionally been an iphone user yeah. And yeah. after after dropping and breaking three iPhones in about 6 or 8 months because those things are apparently extremely fragile. He, he the last two were in cases, but yeah. one drop was enough to do them in. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I've been carrying a Windows phone now for a long time. I've dropped it many times. I've never damaged one. So, finally he threw in the towel on this and said, "Okay, get me Get me a Windows phone, I guess, like yours, and mm-hmm. I did. It's forty eight dollars at Amazon. It's a Lumia six thirty five, Yeah. and he he likes it fine. It does everything he needs to. If you don't like, if you don't use a whole lot of the uh, the apps that the teenagers do tend to use, then Windows phone is a perfectly acceptable substitute for uh iPhone and for Android and it's cheaper and I think it's easier to use. And of course I like it because I can program it, but apparently I'm just kind of out there in the wilderness on this because the percentage of people using it just doesn't seem to be able to get above five, six, eight percent. Yeah. And I don't so I don't know what's going on there. Maybe the uh the announcements about Android app compatibility will drive some people to it. What yeah. Especially at those price points. How expensive is it to try one? when it's less than $50 for a fully-featured smartphone. Well, tell me about the the Android features that you mentioned here. Well, this was announced at Built. The fact that this is coming, I don't think it's here yet, but the fact that you would be able to run Android apps on a Windows phone. Oh, okay. So, so that you won't be able-, able
0: to do that, actually. You'll be able to compile Android app source code and then submit that to the, to the store as a universal app. Is that what you're talking about? No, there they've, have they've been
2: conversations going on about Android emulators running in next-generation phones. Really? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's sep- it's just about September now. The show comes out in September. Rumor is that the release of the new phone will be in October, and it'll be a dedicated Win10 phone. So there's a fair to middle in chance, and I'm just speculating at this point,
0: that that phone might have an onboard Android emulator. Well, but, but what they were talking
1: about at Build was the bridges. Is that what you're referring to, Billy? That's primarily what I'm referring to, yeah. but it's such an obvious next step. Absolutely, and I'm any, with you. I don't have any inside information on this at all, but it, it just if you want to really make it transparent, you don't want to put any barriers up. And so, yeah, I, I kind of expected there would eventually be a compatibility layer of some kind because if you're already recompiling Android to make it work, you've done a whole lot of the work to create the, that compatibility layer mm. so they work natively.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I I I was one of the guys who said that's what I think will save Windows Phone Uh, when we you know at at build I was talking about that is that they would I was thinking that it would be like a an Android OS that looked and operated and worked like the you know like the Metro shell because that's really what we like about Windows Phone. It isn't really the operating system. And that's what Nokia
2: was doing on the slide just before Microsoft bought them, was they actually built a phone that was actually running
0: running Android under the hood, but Mm -hmm. had a Windows-like shell on top of it. Here's the issue, and the reason I started with Windows Phone is because, you know, so much of the universal app idea of Windows 10 has to do with the phone, Cortana and so forth. And if the phone is not vibrant... And, you know, not a lot of people are using it. You know, that sort of begs the question, why would I use, why would I make a universal app? Why wouldn't I just make a a WPF app or something else?
1: Well, yeah, that, that's a, that's an important point and one that I really wanted to make sometime today. Before I do though, now I have to correct you on pronunciation. It's not Cortana. I'm a Halo player. It's Cortana. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) We all have our little (laughs)
0: ignorances. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, I had I had teenage boys when Halo came out, so of course I play Halo. Yeah, uh, But no, what I've seen in going out into my client base is that there is a big, a large amount of interest in universal apps, and they like the idea of technology that runs on these various platforms. Mm. But I don't see a huge amount of interest in making a single app that runs... On everything. What I see is the idea that they like the fact that their skills are so portable. Yeah. Right. So that, that their skills have to vary almost none at all to go from desktop to tablet. Yeah. And then phone, if, if, if that becomes viable, but also things like Xbox and Raspberry Pi and HoloLens coming down the road. Yeah. Th- that's exciting things for people. I went to do my first Windows 10 class about a month ago and the people involved had done most of their experience up to then in character-based software that was a COBOL derivative created back in the late 70s, early 80s. So at a leap, these people get into the modern world learning technology, Universal Apps is XAML, that enables them to program this huge range of things with completely modern applications. Mm. They're not so excited about writing an app that runs on different devices all at once, mm-hmm. but the idea that their skills are portable is a big, big deal to them. And I think that's one of the big selling points to developers, or it should be, about Universal Apps is you Take a lot of these people that are character-based or maybe classic DB from the 90s, and they get to do a big leapfrog into being able to span all these different devices. Take the Raspberry Pi thing, for instance. For, oh, yeah. this, particular, for this particular client, uh, they they manage cattle feedlots. They write software for that. Well, there's all kinds of reasons why you might want to have embedded devices out in the sheds that control scales or various other equipment that deals with the cattle, and you'd ideally like to program those devices with the same technologies you program everything else. So the universal Windows platform lets them do that. And so that, that's a big deal to these guys. And, and I think Microsoft is not emphasizing that as much as they should because they've almost stopped trying to talk to those character based classic VB guys. They've almost said, Oh, well, you know, they're stuck and and they're the laggards, and we're never really going to get through to them. If they're not at least in the .NET world, then they're probably not in our audience. I don't think that's true at all. I think that you've got a big, big motivation for them to move into Windows 10 because it lets them just skip entire generations of trying to figure out how to use a lot of different technologies for all the different devices and form factors. And really what's portable there skill-wise is C Sharp, isn't it? C Sharp and XAML. And XAML. Yeah. And Zamel, and do not underestimate XAML as the as the male comment that Richard talked about yeah. went over. That's a that's a big deal, and it it is tough to acquire those kinds of uh, th- to learn to think in XAML is a pretty big leap. It can be um, mitigated somewhat with some guidance and some mentoring and the proper training, but there's no there's no question that it's that it's tough. But the payoff is very very big. Anytime you've got that kind of a hill to get over. In order to learn something, there has to be something really good on the other side of the hill. When you get to the peak, you better get a big payoff. And Universal Apps gives people a pretty big payoff for investing the time and effort to learn XAML. Uh, They already know C Sharp for the most part. They just have to change a few libraries. So, yeah, it's a big deal to get into a whole new world with the combination of those two technologies.
0: It's interesting. Last week we were talking to uh, Bryce Fernandez about uh, Unity. And, and how you, we ended the show, you know, we started gaming and all that stuff and we ended, and I'm talking about Unity 3D here. We ended by talking about the viability of writing, you know, apps for phones and multiple devices that aren't games, you know, and, and uh, and the same thing came up, which is you can't just put stuff in a list box, you know, and like we used to do in VB. And, and do that in a graphics app. And, and it's the same for XAML. I mean, and I think that was the first real lesson that I learned about design in, in XAML. And even, you know, even in a, in a graphics app or a game or something like that, if you have a list of something, you know, our, our go-to tool has been the list box for all these years. And you just cannot use that like you used to. It just doesn't work for touch. It doesn't work for many paradigms of modern software,
1: and now you have to rethink what lists of things are. Yeah, you have to you have to open up your mind to things that. Well, I, I when I do training on this stuff or do presentations, I do tests. So I'll I'll do one right here live, and we'll see how it goes. We can always cut it out, I guess, if it doesn't go well. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so let's imagine that you're doing, oh, let's say a an app that, that is in a veterinary hospital. Okay. And it's got some kind of a dashboard and the dashboard would have areas for different species of animals. You got dogs and cats and lizards and fish or whatever. And uh, so now, first of all, you need to know something about the animals that have survived and the animals that died. So, what would be the typical way that you would think a developer would put that information in the dashboard? What is the species and indicate the alive versus dead state of of these animals? Guys, tell well, me. Well, in the old days, of course, it would be text-based. And maybe if you were cute,
0: you would put a picture of a dog or a cat or a, the, whatever the species is. And yeah, uh, yeah exactly. So, yeah. So now <laughs> – That's what you do in the old days.
1: <laughs> That's what you do in the old days. Yeah, you probably have <laughs> – some kind of a checkbox or something that's – or the word dead or alive or something right. like that. Yeah. Well, um, imagine then that, first of all, it's much more practical to do graphical elements. I can go to tools such as Syncfusion's Metro Studio and get shapes of all these animals with no trouble at all. It'll take me seconds to get XAML vector-based scalable graphics to show the different species. Yeah. Okay, that's number one then. Number two – I can change the color of those things. See, the problem with having the icons that we would have used in old technology is that it's just static. It's just a, it's just a bitmap picture and there's anything we can do with it. Right. But if I take a graphic, a vector-based graphic, I can do things to the colorization of it. Uh, and that, that might, in- Communicate good visual cues, mm. mm-hmm. and then how about a, how about a live versus dead? Well, you know this came up in in one of my projects where somebody said, well, if you want to show that the animal is dead, just turn the graphic upside down."
0: Yeah, <laughs> or, or just put X's over its eyes. Yeah,
1: yeah, or, yeah. Everybody gets that the right, moment yeah, they obvious. see it, they get it, and and that sort of thing is not the kind of thinking that a typical developer would, 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 they won't go there.
0: Right. Cause we're and used to the constraints of list boxes and icons
1: and all that other stuff. And so those constraints are, are, are putting a little box around the way we think we can present the information to the user. And one of the first things we have to do, if we're going to become really proficient with XAML is to, is to take a hammer to that box and smash it apart so that we do think of these other ways of visualizing the things that people need to see.
0: You know, I think it was on the last show you were on. We talked about how XAML is back, you know, and, uh, especially with Xamarin forms and, and all of these new technologies that are using the Z- XAML like interfaces and XAML like language. Do you still feel that way that XAML is, is, is back and better
1: than ever? Oh, let me tell you, I walked around Moscone Center in San Francisco in April. Watching Microsoft go on stage in session after session and show amazing things and know that it was all done in XAML. Right. Their keynote had these amazing innovations. The, I think Microsoft probably rolled out more innovation at one conference th- at this year's build mm. than they had since PDC in 2000 when they rolled out .NET. Yeah. I, th- I think it was, it was overwhelming. It was. There was just so much stuff, it was hard to keep up with it. And the vast majority of it was written in XAML. Mm. Now, understand from my point of view, I'm the guy that three or four years ago, everybody was telling me, you know, Billy, you just have to stop, drop the XAML stuff.
0: Yeah. Because <laughs> <I remember. laughs>
1: HTML5 is the way, the truth, and the light. And you're just going to have to go there because that's the way. I literally. Our little Rocky Lodka. Yes, and, and people inside Microsoft were saying to me, Billy, in two years, this is call it the 2012 time frame. In two years, everybody will be writing all of their business software interfaces in HTML5, and XAML is just is going nowhere. Okay? So I looked at that technology, at the XAML technology. And we do both web and XAML. So we have a pretty good feel for what both of them are and all the frameworks and all the confusion and the browser incompatibilities. Mm -hmm. The problem in HTML5 is not that it won't do a lot of interesting stuff because it will. It's that practically speaking, making it all work in all the places it needs to introduces costs that aren't apparent when you first begin. Hmm. And then there are are some things that XAML will just do that that HTML5 won't. Will not. So... Native technologies will always kind of be browser technologies, I think, in, in in our lifetimes, in some ways. So I stuck with it. Our team stuck with it. We were doing complex healthcare apps. Truly, I walked around trying so hard not to gloat every time <laughs> that there was because there were there were so many XAML sessions. Yeah. I think there was one HTML5 session. And I stuck with this technology when everybody else said it was dead. Mm. And and it's enormously satisfying to me to see clients calling us in the six weeks or so before Windows 10 was introduced saying, okay, we based on what we saw it build, we are committing fully to Windows 10, and we'd like you to please come in and help us get started on that. Nice. That's That's been enormously satisfying to me. So when you think about this universal app model, isn't this just responsive
2: web design for XAML?
1: Well, it is, but XAML kind of um, got there first in the sense, well, I guess HTML got there first in the sense that it originated the idea that you pour content into a container. Right. And it just kind of figures itself out. But that was hard enough to do that we've all seen all these web pages that have fixed widths because yep. trying to get all the dynamic stuff was was hard to do. With XAML, your flexibility in get, getting dynamic stuff, dynamic layout is much higher. And some of the adaptability to different old portrait versus landscape, et cetera. There's a lot more that you can do. Plus, the ability to switch out views on the fly, on the client, is something that you really can't. I mean, you're going to have to load another page if you're going to do that in HTML5. But if you're doing it native with XAML, you can just detect, oh, yes, well, I'm in this state now. Let me change my view out to something that is better and and, and a better layout for what the user is doing right now. So there's all kinds of interesting responsive things that we can do. And I think that that, pl- that comes into play, not just in what you were thinking of there, Richard, where we have all these form factors, we have all these these different DPIs and we have all the all the things that, right. that people have to do. That's the main use. thing I'm
2: thinking is when I Think Universal Labs like I write an app and it runs on a a laptop, a tablet, and a, a mobile phone, and I need different renderings for each one of those. The core code base is the same, but I'm probably gonna have I said a different XAML instructions, essentially, for
1: what the UI is going to look like. Exactly. That's, I think, the way most people think about it. And so that means that XAML is, I think, the. of course, I'm biased about this, but I think it's the optimal tool for this world in which things vary all over the place. And the idea of
0: XAML isn't new or isn't particular to Microsoft, right? I mean, if you're going to do native uh, Mac development or native uh, iOS development, you're using Xcode, which is essentially a XML type of markup language similar to XAML, and uh,
1: and even on an Android as well. And they pioneered some of the interesting ideas that XAML later stole. Things like Relative Panel in Windows 10 mm. uh, is, is the idea that you position things kind of in relation to one another. They didn't go quite as far in that direction because – Up until fairly recently, there wasn't the wide variety of different form factors in the Apple world. Now, when they started going to retina-style displays and they started doing mini iPads and things like that, they started facing some of those issues, and they've added some things as well. But basically, the idea is that native technologies are just going to be more suited to being able to handle that situation than a generic browser based technology. And, and, and I don't, I always have to make this disclaimer because people then take that to say, well, everybody should just write in XAML. And I don't mean to imply that at all. Of all the business software I see being written over the next five to 10 years, I think the biggest single technology that will be used for the interface is probably something HTML based. I think yep. it will be. Bigger than any of the other native stacks. But, but my point is that it isn't going to be everything. It's going to be half mm. or maybe 60% at the most. And then you're going to have the other native stacks. Universal apps is going to be a pretty big chunk. Mm-hmm. I, I can, I can sort of see that once. Once it gets momentum, and this is going to take probably two, three years to start getting the momentum for people to really learn to use it. But it's going to be a good sized chunk of business development, 20, 25, 30%, I think. And then you'll still have iOS and you'll still have other technologies like Xamarin to do the various, you know, make things portable to native. So the basic idea is we aren't just going to see one UI stack. We're going to see UI stacks that are optimized for certain purposes. And I happen to like XAML and the areas in which I work tend to, tend to work very well with that as a technology. Do you know if parts of Windows 10 or significant parts of Windows 10 were written with XAML? Well, that's one of the exciting things about it, is that the shell for Windows 10 is written in XAML, and so are big chunks of Office 2016. No kidding. And I, I, I would I, – see I, – I tell people this, and I keep getting this look of surprise. Now, Richard, I know, I, Carl, I know you're you're just pretending here, okay? You fed that's me what that we call question. a meatball. Yes, you fed me that question is a big, big softball? But it's it's absolutely true that when I go out, I was at the Nashville CIO Council about two months ago to discuss Windows Ten and Azure with them, and it was a room full of people. That said They said that was the biggest group they'd had in a couple of years, and uh they the idea. That the Windows shell was written in XAML and Office was written in XAML. That right there just says to them, okay, this is a safe technology. It's for us To base some of our software on, we don't have to worry about Microsoft yanking the rug out from under us like they did with Silverlight. Right. Yeah. Because they'd be yanking the rug out from under themselves yeah. and they aren't going to do that. So that, that's a, that's one of the big sort of obstacle removers of the entire adaptation of the entire move to, um, to universal apps is that Microsoft is now utterly dependent on this technology. And that doesn't just mean that it's long-term viable. It also means that its performance is spectacular and its stability is spectacular because it has to be. There are things in XAML today, such as the new data binding system that are there because people internal to Microsoft went to the, to the team and said the old way of doing it isn't good enough for what we need. We're stressing it too much, and you've yeah. got to come up with a better way of doing it.
0: Well, hold that thought right there, because Richard, you know what time it is now?
1: Uh, it must be that happy time
2: again.
0: Yeah, it's time to write some code. Don't try to stop me, Billy. <laughs> I'm not the code addict you think I am. <laughs> I, I, just, I can stop anytime time I want. I, I just need to write a little code once in a while, you know? <laughs> That's not, all. Not a lot. Just a few lines. <laughs> just a few lines. Don't stop me, man. <laughs> you're, not a, you're not a code head. <laughs> you're either part of the solution or part of the problem, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with Dev Express UI controls and libraries, and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best, without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero.
2: All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Keith
0: Bartley. Hi, oh, congratulations, Keith. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah! Keith just won the D Experience subscription from DevExpress, a big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com and click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .netrocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December... We give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. Hey, it's coming up. It is coming up. Yeah. I'm getting excited again. But you got to sign up in order to win. And uh, also, Billy, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, like let's go shopping,
1: what would you buy? You know, you asked me this question last time, and I go, I don't know where I would spend $5,000. And I probably still don't. Um, if if the Hololens were available, boy, I would spend that five thousand dollars in a hurry. Yeah, right. But I'm presumably, I, buying
2: it, more than one. Yes, for five I'd be grand. buying
1: as as many of them as I could get my hands on because that thing was. Look, I've been in this business a long time, and using the Hololens at Build was the nearest thing to stepping into science fiction that I have ever experienced. Nice, and and it's it's still early in that whole cycle. It's a little bit. Fragile, and the viewing area is probably a little more limited than it mm-hmm. needs to be. But if you don't use that and s- immediately see some amazing innovations that you could do, then y- you know you need to open your mind up a bit. So that's where I would go if if I had money at this point. I mean, I just got myself a new Windows 10 development machine. Uh, it's got a 512 gig SSD and 16 gig of memory and a 4K display. Da 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 da, and it's thirteen hundred dollars. Mm. So, I don't, I don't need a lot of technology that, that I'm going to haul around. Um, $5,000 for, for truly innovative stuff, I would, I would go for, but we've almost reached that point where a lot of the innovation now is in software. It's not in hardware. Devices are so incredibly cheap that, that I can buy as many as I want. When I'm buying phones for $48, I'm having a hard time finding ways to spend five, that 5K on devices. Hmm. I thought of a, a good
0: game to build with HoloLens and that's, uh, sort of like a hide-and-seek or a clue-based game where you hide things around your house.
1: Oh, that's cool. And <laughs> yeah, play with your family, you know? <laughs> I like that, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, you know,
2: if HoloLens does what it's supposed to, you're going to want a house with as little stuff in it as possible, just lots of clear, flat
0: surfaces so you can put things there Yeah, exactly. Digitally, Just like a a, a brand new apartment or something like that with nothing yeah. in it, you know?
1: Yes, because think about it. Look, I spent 30 minutes last night looking for my Xbox One media remote control. Right. Because I started a movie, and I set the thing down, and when the movie's over and I'm ready to – I don't know where it is. <laughs> I, I, I really – because I'm, I'm old now, and I just – it's the it's the old Red skeleton joke. I, you, I don't know if you guys ever heard this or not, and maybe before your time. When he was – doing comedy in his 80s, and someone asked him, do you think about the hereafter? And he said, yeah, all the time. I walk from room to room in my house thinking, what am I hereafter?' <laughs>
0: <laughs> I spent an hour so, you last night looking for my glasses. They were on my yeah. head. So, where are my glasses? Thinking, so see the them? Is,
1: if we make all this stuff virtual, we can't lose it. Yeah. All we yeah. got to do is ask the, the computer you just where lose it the is. HoloLens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So <laughs>
0: I don't know if my car will start with virtual keys though. That's the problem, you know? Some things have to be physical.
1: I don't know about that because I'm the last 3 uh, cars I've rented don't have I mean they've got a little key fob thing. I yeah. guess it's probably got some kind of RFID thing in it, but it's a push button starter.
0: Oh yeah. Put a key in it. Anyway. Yeah, I have those two New cars. Yeah, but you know, like I say, you know that 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 fob can't be has to be something physical. I wonder if uh if uh, the role of XAML in Hololens.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of a one of the reasons to to learn it. As far as I'm concerned, is you're future proofing your career a little bit because as the labs, if you if you were uh, uh, privileged enough to end up in a slot in one of the labs at, at Build, then you actually use XAML at various points to to program the Hololens. I had this wonderful little me- the young mentor, a twenty something. Uh, a woman who was who was guiding me through it, and we were having a great time. But I knew more quite a bit more about sample than she did, so we had quite a, quite an interesting conversation about that, about the ability of that to 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 when you've got UI technology that is made for dynamic kinds of of manipulation, it's right. just such a natural fit for that. And Richard, you were talking about some of the dynamic layout stuff, et cetera. That's important in for all the reasons we talked about. But there are reasons why it's important for typical business stuff that most people wouldn't necessarily get. I mean, hmm. I'll give you an example from uh, from this the, this recent project that I worked on. So we, it's the old, it's the old William Gibson quote: "The future's here, but it's just not equally distributed <laughs> yet." So you think about these folks that are are working. With the the cattle on the cattle feedlots. I told you that's that's some of the software I worked on. Uh, you can't put mobile technology in the hands of these cowboys because they've got to ride horses. They don't have free hands. Right. And besides, they would drop this stuff in the mud and other stuff that's worse than mud. And th- these devices simply wouldn't last for very long. Mm-hmm. So what do they record information on? Well, they use pencil and paper, pen and right. paper. Right,
2: oddly works reliably, great battery life. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's absolutely. So what that means is that at the end of the day, they're turning in a stack of these forms of stuff they've filled out for somebody to enter in a typical desktop situation. Okay, that's fine, but there are a thousand different people using, thousand different installations using this software. You know they've all got their own forms, and you know they aren't going to change those forms. Because that would, that would involve retraining all these cowboys and they don't want to do that. So what that means is that the UI ideally needs to be dynamic. It needs to respond to the way that form uh, needs to look, the order and and what's on there, et cetera. Mm. That's, that's much, much easier to do in a technology that already has the dynamic nature built in where you, you can just do a little bit of interesting code behind, look at some metadata, stick some controls in or take some controls out, and the layout just all fixes itself, you see. You don't have to do all kinds of weird calculations about where things go. You just specify what you want, and, and whammo-bammo, you get a you get a UI that is optimized for that purpose without having to do a whole lot of work. I used to do dynamic UI in Windows Forms. Oh, yeah, me too. And I can tell you that doing dynamic UI in XAML takes less than a tenth of the amount of time and effort, and you get better results that it will work on all. It will respond dynamically as you change the size of the screen, et cetera. Yeah. So that's another aspect that when people start looking at writing business software in XAML, they don't necessarily see that as something that they need, but in certain situations, it turns out to be um, anywhere from uh, just really nice all the way up to mission critical.
0: So what's changed in what's new in Windows 10 XAML and are there uh, corollaries or or are there similar changes in WPF?
1: I that's that's a good subject to take up and let me preface it by saying if you already understand one of the other Xaml variants, WPF or Silverlight. Then your adaptation to to Universal apps Xaml is really easy. In less than a week, you will pick up the, the things that you need. Mm-hmm. But there are certainly several areas in which uh, things have been done for you that are nice. They've left out a couple things that WPF does that I, I like. But there are certainly things that it that that, that Windows Ten Xaml does better. There, the, first of all, the one big thing is touch, touch, touch. Mm. Just, it's all built in. It's mm. all transparent. You, even as, as we're getting kind of touch based displays of various kinds, you just don't have to work to get touch and all the gesture support in. That's so much easier. Then you've also got, um, along with that, a lot of new item controls so that you don't use list box so much anymore. You use its cousin list view, which is more touch optimized. Mm-hmm. And then there are, there are other very nice touch, um, enabled list controls such as, um, uh, flip views and pivots. That give you very modern UI without doing very much work. So if you've already learned how to use list controls in XAML, now your, your uptake on these new list controls to get really dramatic results is, is really nice. Mm. Uh, very, 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 very fast. Um, and then there's the new relative panel, which I think solves certain layout problems without working so, so hard at it. Yeah. I'm hoping that the visual designer team will leverage that into getting a coherent visual designer for XAML, which they've never really been able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so relative, relative panel is, is a big deal. And then there are some areas where they have just put some, some nice things in there for convenience. For example, there's this, um, control called symbol icon, which basically just lets you select an icon to go into something. And you think, yeah, that's what's the big deal there. Well, th- it, it's just such a pain to go out and find shapes and manage getting them into the UI. This makes it extremely simple just to get a shape off of a big common list because all you do is choose the shape from the enumeration. So there are convenient things like that. Now, I do wish that the team would go a bit further in 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 that direction and think outside the box some more. Uh, for example, one of the standard controls that I write for clients is what I call a visual checkbox. So you know what the, no, the re- usual checkbox in XAML is just ugly. It's yes. slightly it's slightly improved in Windows 10, but it's it's not hideously ugly anymore. It's no, merely just ugly. Yeah. merely ugly now. And it's too small usually. It's too small. And so if you're going but see the thing about XAML controls is that the visual appearance can be modified at will yeah, and you submit them. the same behavior. Right. So when we do dictation, we want the checkbox to look like a microphone, for example. Mm-hmm But to do that, we got to go in and modify control templates. I've learned from bitter experience that only 20% or so of XAML developers will ever actually go that far.
2: So, one of the will go that far or will be
0: successful going there?
1: Well, both, I guess. I've done it. And I tried.
0: To do it well, you really need blend. And uh, that was my next question, which was are there any sort of templates, boilerplate templates, like for animations, for buttons, and things like that,
1: that we can just go? plug in and use. Well, but one of the changes in the Windows 10 XAML is that they do include transitions. And The problem is that the list of available transitions right now is pretty sparse. But I hope oh, we'll man. see more transitions there. And 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 that's an area where certainly animation is also one of those things that I just never I dropped it from my, from my XAML class mm-hmm. because I just could never get enough benefit into the students out of it. So... In other me, words, wait a minute. In other words, they weren't receptive to it, or they didn't
0: learn it, or they couldn't. They get didn't it.
1: learn it. They didn't learn it effectively enough to use it. Th- huh. That they weren't comfortable enough with it to actually make it a part of their usual production development. Wow. I think that the problem is it's kind of at the end of several days of of XAML, which is already twisting your head into places that it never yeah. expected to go, and and so it was. And it's just one more. It was a bridge too far, I think, for the for an initial introductory XAML course. Only one in 10 or 15 students actually got anything out of of that section. So I've kind of reoriented into how can I make it so that they don't really have to know these things. In my visual checkbox, it has two properties. One is checked visual element, and the other is unchecked visual element. Okay. And all you do is drop into the XAML whatever visual element you want Mm -hmm. to be the state when it's checked, in the state when it's unchecked. Yep. Now, how hard is that for a developer to use? It's, it's easy as easy. pie. They, yeah. could, they could put those symbol icons in there or they could go to Metro Studio and get something. Now, now that I've described this to you, Carl, how long would it take you to write a control like that? Not long. Not long at all. Yeah. But look look how much it leverages. Now, if I'm doing one of those lists and I've got some Boolean that says something about the state of a, of a data object, I want to visualize the true state and the false state in some way that's intuitive to the user, I'm probably not going to go to the trouble of doing a control template and a checkbox to do that now, am I? No, no, of, of course um, not. You know, I don't have time for that. But if I've got a visual checkbox that I can just drop in and then put the states in there and the transitions between the states are automatic and all that, now how much more likely am it's I easy. to use that? Yeah, yeah, that's easy. So that's that's some of the areas in which the team, I think, still needs to push, the control vendors still need to push, people like me need to push so that people are able... To use this technology and get a lot more value out of it, mm. um, and and I, I guess I should mention because you were talking earlier, you did your your thing about Dev Express. Dev Express is into the in the UX area, pushing I think further than most of the other control vendors. Yeah. Uh, we did a, a roadshow last fall where myself and Mark Miller, their CTO, is very heavily into UX, went out and and helped uh, communicate to developers how important it is, and of course there was some selling about how you could use Dev Express to do it, but the basic idea being that this is very important. And the response to that was tremendous. Mm. We sold out the New York event hmm. in two days, I think. Um, it, it was a hundred room for 120 at Microsoft's Times Square headquarters sold out in a couple of days. So there are people who are starting to get this, but there's this big mass of developers out there who just, you have to make it just. So easy for them because there's just too much to learn. Yeah. And and, you know, we're not the only ones with that problem. These guys that are out there pitching HTML5 and all these frame, all these different JavaScript frameworks have the same problem we do. It's theoretically possible to do all these amazing things, but you'll rapidly get past the threshold of how much people will learn. So you want to make it as approachable as you can. And I think that's, that's a challenge for us. That's a challenge for everybody with modern tools. So is there anything on a wish list that you have?
0: You know, you wish it did this, you wish it did that. I mean, you you did mention that uh, Windows 10 XAML has some improvements that you wish WPF had, but what about just XAML in general?
1: Well, I, I, my, my list kind of hasn't changed that much. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of go down the list, and, and this is just mostly minor things. As I said, the big things are producing entirely new ways of of, of doing controls so that things are just easy that used to be hard. Yeah. And relative panel kind of fits in into that category. So I do see the team actually doing that and I'm happy to see that they do. But there are some basic things they ought to get right that would remove uh, some of the frustration level when people first start up to, to, to try to work with this technology. When you drag uh, something out of the toolbox into a grid cell, it should just size itself to that cell. It should not try to do some, use those weird margins and things like that to, 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 to replicate a Windows Forms experience. The team thinks that they're, they're helping people by making the experience familiar and they're not. They're actually making an experience very unfamiliar because they, the, the user who dragged that thing over there doesn't understand why it's in that position. Mm. They don't understand about the margin stuff when they first use XAML. Right. It, but if they saw that it was just in a cell and it was automatically sized to that cell, that would make a lot more sense. Everybody that's used a spreadsheet understands the idea of moving a row or mm. moving a column. Mm-hmm. But instead, to do that, you got to go in and do a whole lot of XAML editing. Right. And it's just messy. The numbering is a big problem. Yeah. Like row numbering, column numbering. Oh, what right. a pain. So there are just there's just a wide variety of things that uh, they really need to to focus on on some of those basics yeah and then past that um th- th- there are there are some some there's some been some progress I've seen in Windows 10 better than what I saw in Windows 8 for design guidelines I put out a little thing on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago a, a link to the, and I guess I should mention that my main Twitter account where I talk about technical stuff and don't make fun of all this, everything <laughs> is at Billy Hollis. So you can go there and see this. There was a, a link to the design guidelines for Windows 10, which are better considered, I think, in general. They, they, they're not universal. They don't cover everything. And I certainly don't want to see people dropping back into sort of a, um, A a dull gray version of what we had in the the, the 1990s, where all apps just look exactly the same. It's just that they they look different than they did 20 years ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I think that people really do need to make sure that as they're applying these design guidelines, they realize that the design guidelines don't tell them how to format items in a list, as you were talking about before, uh, Carl. Right. That that you really do need to apply some design thinking to how you do stuff like that. So, so the design guidelines are, are, are one of the areas in which they're, they're moving forward and they're doing some good work. The area where I don't see as much work as I'd like is you go to a demo for these. When the Microsoft guy walks on stage to do a XAML thing, he's going to write one of these hamburger menus every yeah. time. Yep. And people are already getting tired of that. Uh, It's it's the same pattern over and over and over because they invested a lot of effort into making that menu do certain things to adapt to different sizes. Now, there are places where that's really, really valuable, but that's not the only navigation pattern that we need, and I'd like to see that contrasted with – um, the pivot and some other things. One of the major design issues you run into in the real world, anytime you try to write a business app is how do you handle context switching? Mm. How do you, how do you help the user see where they've been, where they are now, where they need to go next, easily get back to what the, that's one of the principal design problems of any kind of application development, including modern app development. There is no universal solution for it. So I'd like to see just a, um, uh, I guess it's a gallery of three, four, five, six different ways of doing it with implementations that show these developers how you would do it with a pivot versus how you do it with a hamburger menu versus how you do it with two or three other ways that we've tried. That, right. that That's one of the areas in which we need to see some pushing so that people aren't having to make all this stuff up from scratch because now you've really raised the bar in what they've got to learn. We already know that Learning XAML itself is pretty hard. they got to learn all the stuff about Windows 10. They don't know anything about touch and how to size touch elements. And now you're saying, yeah, well, y- you got to figure out the navigation paradigm too. No, we, we really would like to, to, to twiddle down the list of things that people need to know when they first walk up to this technology.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, the th- one of the things I'm excited about and hoping for coming out of Win 10 and the next version of Offices and so forth is a bunch of these UI paradigms defined. You know, for a long time, that was the model. You got a new version of Windows, you got a new version of Office that told you what your UI should look like, and then within a year or so, you got a set of dev tools that made that easy
1: to do. And we haven't seen that, and I would I would certainly like to see it. I don't think we can be quite we – we have more degrees of freedom now, so the choices that you ought to make, you ought to be able to make, ought to come from a longer list than they did before. But yes, those choices should be fleshed out for you pretty well, but – what i don't want to see happen then is people just go okay well now we've designed our app and and we're done and we'll just make it look like this and stick the same old text fields and the same old checkboxes and the same old stuff in there so that basically it's a touch enabled version of the stuff that they did 25 years ago no they ought to look at the the, the, the possibilities of the technology for visualization they ought Well to be- i would hope that the office team had done that for me like i got yeah. I, I don't want to think that much billy Uh, Yeah, I understand. And they probably will give us some good examples. Yeah. But the, the visualization tends to be domain specific. The way you're going to visualize information depends heavily on the nature of that information. Yeah.
2: And you're, and you're not building an email client. And if you are, stop it. Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) So if you're going to be, if you're working with animals, you've got to come up with a design idea that an upside down animal is dead. Right. That's, that's a, that's a choice that's not going to affect somebody in financial software. There's
2: probably not an office example of that. Exactly. (laughs) So
1: so it doesn't relieve you of the need to go through some thinking, some design thinking and, and a process that says every time somebody does a data template that is anything more than just a couple of text fields, they ought to be thinking, what what should the layout of this thing look like? What elements should we put in? What elements should we leave out? What elements should we emphasize? Are there opportunities for us to use shapes and graphics and colors to make the, the user see things much more quickly? That that should mean that every time you go walk walk up to one of these list controls and you're getting ready to do a data template, that you start by getting out your pencil and your paper and sketching about three or four or five ways you could do it. Right, and, and talk to some other people and show it, and and come up with, and and then you'll get ideas. Where somebody will say, "Yeah, you know, if you turn that animal upside down, it looks dead." Um, you get the ideas that you need, and then you go back and you implement the data template based on the best of the ideas that you've come up with in the, in the design process. You don't just walk up and go, "Okay, I need a data template. Let me start writing one." Nope. Get that get that paper and pencil out first.
2: (laughs) Well, and and I just like this, and I think this goes back to Matt's comment too. That your more relevant, your response to it, which was UX design isn't about colors and and even layout on the page per se. It's that flow. It's much more the storyboarding of how do I get from here to here? How does this menu
0: come in? You know, what do these visualizations look like? And that said, though the contrast is really important, and that you know does fall within the realm of color, but you know not not color for psychology's sake, perhaps, or maybe so. But Billy, is there any is there any um, studies that have been done that show the psychological effect of say a a dark screen with lighter writing on it versus a a, a bright screen with dark lettering? You know, like white
1: on black versus black on white. If there are some, I have not seen them. We tend to go with, um, the ability, since it's so easy to flip skins out, to have both themes and then let individual users choose. Nice. And so that, that's, that, and then of course there are application specific areas where you don't want to do that. When we worked with 3M to design the UX for their radiology application, We're going with a dark theme because that's going to be in a dark room, and we don't want to have any more extraneous light than we need it because they need the room to be dark to look at these images, these x-rays and films and things that they might be looking at. So there are certainly application-specific places where you choose one or the other. But other than that, we just kind of let the users choose based on their own personal predilections. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd love to – I wonder if Miller knows anything about that. I know. He's talked about it. Yeah. He might he 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 investigates the research and does some research himself mm. actually on these these aspects uh, quite a bit more deeply than I do. He's really more interested in the science of it than I am, and I didn't know that I would ever meet somebody more interested in the science <laughs> um, because that's my entire design training is around the science behind yeah. a UI but he really does look at every bit of research he can find on this. So Billy, before we say goodbye, is there anything that's really stuck in your craw these days? What makes you mad well, I almost hesitate to bring it up because it's Windows Ten is so nice in many respects, and it has revitalized well I, our business was always good it's not that that XAML development ever went away, but the amount of, of of interest we're getting now is much, much higher so i don't I don't want to seem ungrateful, but I had to go out and buy a Windows Ten machine, and I guess they're not designed for me they're designed for more of a general consumer look and feel but they they just suck they all look like my they all look like macbook airs okay they're bright and shiny and they're thin and they've got this little chiclet keyboard do you remember the? Do you remember back in the eighties? The PC Jr. Ju- no, you guys don't go back that far. Sure we oh, sure, do. Yes, we do. The PC Jr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we made fun of those stupid chiclet keyboards yeah. in the PC Jr. Yeah uh, so much. There was there was an entire cartoon series uh, <laughs> about how stupid the chiclet keyboards was. And here we are. It's the new normal. Yeah. And yeah, and this the new normal is these flat chiclet keyboards. And it's not just that they're <laughs> flat, it's that these guys designed them to look like MacBook Airs, and everything has to be symmetrical and lined up. And so that means, for example, they don't put the power button. I've got this this machine here. I don't want to make fun of it too much because they all are kind of like this, but it's an ACES. And the power button is the top right button in the keyboard layout.
0: Oh, so like oh, right next no. to it, insert and delete.
1: <laughs> up there where the delete key would be on a lot of other keyboards. Yeah. And I go, no, no look, design principles. Proximity, separation. Why you don't <laughs> Why do you make my power, power button
2: light? easy to reach? Yeah. No,
1: you just don't do that. No. And 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 but it's symmetrical. It's so beautifully symmetrical <laughs> and it's so shiny. And so that sort of thing just sticks in my craw because I want a real machine and the, the, a lot of the machines that I have normally been using from various major brands that you would recognize—I don't want to slam too badly because they're all like this—the quality has slipped. I've gotten a, a, a big, a long series of lemons uh, in in these various computers. So I feel like I feel like that as a serious professional going out to do Windows 10, I have spent ridiculous amounts of time attempting to find a professional grade machine for me to use, and I would pay five thousand dollars for it, Carl. Okay, I would. Nobody produces
0: it. Well, if I ever decide to produce a machine, I know I get I could sell one. You could sell one to me. Yeah, Billy Hollis, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, guys. Always enjoyable. All right, we'll see you next time on .net Rocks.